welcome to the Trauma Thrivers Group and a huge welcome to Hilary Cash, who has joined us from seven or eight hours behind. We um, managed to get it slightly wrong our end with the time zone in the UK, but thank you so much, Hilary, and we're both delighted to have you with us tonight and share your expertise, which is hugely vast on all things internet and gambling and gaming and shopping and intimacy and all those things that we get addicted to. Um, I wonder if you could start just by telling us a little bit about you and also about Restart and the program that you've got over in Seattle. Sure. I'm the co-founder of Restart uh, along with Cosette Ray. We started it in 2009 and we started it to address uh, the need for a, a tailored program, uh, which didn't exist anywhere in this country. And we knew it existed already in tailored programs existed for it in Asia, like okay. South Korea and China, but not in the West. There were in, in Europe at that time, I think there was at least one program that was affiliated with a drug and alcohol program, but had developed a specialized track. But it, there was a, a just a real lack of expertise. And I had, um, and so I became the chief clinical officer there. And um, Cosette is our CEO. But I, I came to restart uh, from uh, already uh, many years as a therapist in private practice. And I had been specializing since the mid nineties in internet addiction wow. um, and was very interested in working with sex addicts who were accessing their addictive activities online. I worked with gamers, you know, I, I worked with a variety of people and, um, but it was all done in private practice. And then when I met Cosette, who was also in private practice in her own, you know, working uh, on her own, um, we just put our heads together and, and she talked to her husband and they had a big house on five acres of land. Their kids were grown and they called me up and said, why don't you come have a look at this? Maybe we can start. We'll just give it a go and see what happens. So that's what we did. And that was, you know, since 2009. So we've grown wow. a lot since then. Wow. Well, I'm not surprised that you've grown a lot since then because, you know, already, what, 12 years, 13 years ago, it was obviously a problem. But have you seen it escalate even further in the last 10 years? Yes. Uh, technology is advancing. Um, and the whole aim of most of that technology is to be as immersive as possible. And it is that immersive factor which also has such strong addictive potential. So as the technology just gets better and better uh, and more and more immersive, and you know, now we have the, uh, oh, you know, the, the body suits and uh, virtual reality yeah. and all yeah. of this, all of these things make the experience more and more immersive and therefore more and more addictive. The potential is there. Um, smartphones made it, were a huge, huge factor in, I think, promoting a lot of addictive behavior. 
um, smartphones were just, just coming as we opened Restart. Uh, but of course now they, we all have them just about. And, uh, and we, whatever our vice is um, online, you know, we can access it with our smartphone and those powerful computers, small as they are, we carry with them all the time. And, and for people listening or watching that don't understand addiction and actually what that immersive experience does to us or does to our brains, could you perhaps describe a little bit about what's going on and why we get so addicted to screens and, and, and other, yeah. other devices? Well, all addictions um, stimulate the release an excessive release of dopamine, opiates, and other neurochemicals in a, a kind of a predictable regions of the brain, the reward pathway. We have this reward pathway naturally and for good reason, but when we discover ways to overstimulate it because it makes us high, those are the things that we have uh, that have addictive potential. So screens, be it video games, pornography, social media, whatever it is, has been at this point in a sophisticated, conscious way designed to stimulate the, a lot of release of dopamine, etc. And, and because they want people to have a to feel very rewarded when they are online. And it is that very process which also can lead to addiction. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm really interested, Hillary, just from kind of, you know, your, your perspective really, you know, because there are also benefits, right? That have come with it. There's this kind of argument, there's this push pull of, are we more disconnected or are we more connected, you know, and, you know, does it, does it cause more connection or does it cause more disconnection? And, you know, there's this constant kind of backwards and forwards sort of argument. So I was just wondering sort of from your perspective, what is it that you see that, you know, is potentially beneficial? Um, and then where does, where do we cross the line? Right. So, I think there is content which is not beneficial that can be found in games, uh, social media, and so forth. And so content matters. Uh, there's a lot of antisocial content. And I would argue that pornography is essentially antisocial, uh, certainly misogynistic for the most part. These are things that I, I don't think anybody benefits by accessing. But we're not anti-technology. That would be absolutely stupid because technology is woven into our lives. There's no way to escape it. But in, in this regard, an addiction to technology is very similar to an eating disorder. So we have to eat, but we can learn to eat healthy mm -hmm. and avoid the things that will trigger our uh, eating disorder. And we need to do the same, it seems to me, with, um, with the technology, the digital media, is that there are healthy things we can and should and will be doing and can do uh, when we're online. And there are some very 
uh, unhealthy content and amount that we can do it that will trigger um, a, a cascading effect which can lead to addiction. So balance is absolutely the key, but also um, time and content really matters. And uh, so those are my thoughts about it. So for anybody that's watching that's kind of got young children or teenagers or what what would you advise them in, in terms of time and boundaries and content, etc. Because obviously the younger you access this, I'm assuming, and the earlier you start, it's a bit like alcohol and nicotine in 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 my experience you know that that the the easier it is to become addicted yes, because absolutely. you're working with a very young brain so how, how do we help our young not to be glued to their phones or on their you know laptops or what's the, what's the answer for parents that, that might be watching or even the answer to how they are themselves and how they act around their phones. Are there yeah. any tips? Well, uh, <laughs> there are books written about this. <laughs> and so I want to recommend that people, uh, if they want some in-depth answers, they go to some of those books and, and, um, I'm an author, a co-author of a book that does talk about child development and the different stages of child development and what is appropriate screen use. And, and it's called Video Games and Your Kids, How okay. Parents Stay in Control. But it is a, that came out in 2008. So, right. and, it, and it was more confined to talking about video games. But the, the basic child development stuff and how you as a family... Uh, sit down together to work out what the rules need to be is very applicable still today. There's a wonderful book um, called um, Reset Your Child's Brain right. by Victoria Dunkley. And that book is goes into depth with the research that is has been done on screens effect on child development. Um, so those uh, uh, a woman named Catherine Adair Steiner has written uh, a, a wonderful book uh, on child development and, and so forth. So there is really good material that is available to people. But what I can say just for the moment is that young children, screens have a high potential to interfere with healthy child development. So whether it is the parents who are on their screens rather than paying attention and interacting with their child, that is a big problem. Yeah. And one that I have seen grow in intensity over the years. And, and the other is putting, you know, handing screens and devices to the children. So when children are zero to 18 months, the American uh, Pediatric Association and the World Health Organization says, no screens, period. They should not be in front of screens, end of story. From, and, and they say 18 to 24 months. So if you then have a two-year-old, half an hour of some uh, non-interactive screen time up until the age of five or six, is would be the recommendation 
you know, an occasional movie that you sit down and watch with your kid is fine, but half an hour to an hour max on non-interactive screens. And I say non-interactive with emphasis because the interaction that we have with our screens makes them, uh, increases the addiction potential. So passive viewing of an interesting age appropriate program for a child, not a big deal. And absolutely, even the young children, the zero to 18 or 24 months, they say it's okay if what you're doing is zooming with family. You know, that's that's not going to harm them. But the rest of it, forget. Um, once kids get into uh, elementary school, you know, those younger years in school, up up even through middle school, very limited screen time. If you're going to let kids have interactive screens. Don't let them have smartphones. Absolutely keep them out of children's hands and do not let them have their screens in the bedroom. Always have sacred times and sacred spaces where there are no screens at all. When children have are allowed screen time, have it be in a public part of the house where parents can just casually walk by, see what their kids are up to put um, monitoring software on screens so you can tell what your kid is doing and see if your kid is abiding by the rules that the family has hopefully discussed and agreed on. And those rules will change as children age up. Um, so these are a few of the recommendations that I can make. Amazing. I think one of one of the things that I I find tricky to sort of reconcile, Hillary. So I wonder if you can help with this. Is and and this is it's the same for in my mind for gaming as it is for kind of social media. It's like, but everybody's doing it, right? Mm -hmm. So if you stop, you know, I mean, so for example, if I stopped interacting on on social media, I would lose a certain amount of connection. With people I'd lose opportunities to promote my business or whatever it is and it's the same with with kids it's like that you know today gaming is like for me when I was younger going out and riding my bike it was what we all did so if you you know this is something that I hear friends of mine with children struggle with a lot of the time it's like but if I stop my child from doing that then I'm disconnecting them from their friends and I'm making them different. But let's say you've, I mean, so none of this applies to children below the age of six, mm -hmm. let's say. I, I don't mm -hmm. think any of that concern applies to young children. Mm -hmm. um, but children who are in school, I think what you could say, and I think it's reasonable and perfectly all right to say to a six-year-old, if you want to play, let us say, Minecraft with your friends, we are going to arrange it so that you have half an hour or 45 minutes to play Minecraft. When all your chores and responsibilities are taken care of, you can play it with these particular people whom I know. It will, you will be in your own little cluster and you're not to play with anybody else who comes in so that you as a parent can exercise some appropriate supervision and control 
over who they're interacting with when they're online. And it, essentially the online universe is a, has the potential to be a very dangerous place. The online universe has many antisocial elements, children in who are playing online games with people they do not know can be solicited for sex, can be solicited for um, joining gangs and other very antisocial groups. There's a lot of harm that can come to children when they are online. They can access pornography, they can stumble on pornography, all kinds of things can happen that parents really wouldn't want to be happening for their children. So parents have to still exercise supervision and it's hard to supervise the internet, which is why you want to monitor what they're doing. You want to have very clear rules. If somebody, if you're in a game and somebody manages to enter that game, what are you going to do? You need to come and tell us about it. We'll help you sort out how you want to handle it. All of these things. and. All of this requires parents not being distracted by their own devices, but being very engaged with their children, having lots of play and interaction and conversation so that the children feel bonded and close to and trusting of their parents. And, and if they will have a close relationship with the parents, they will accept the boundaries the parents place, the supervision of their parents. So it, it very much depends on parents really stepping up as good parents with their children. Yeah. I wanted to ask if you are seeing or what you're currently seeing more of, um, especially coming into the clinic or what you're seeing more about in your clinic, um, you know, what, what's happening out there in terms of young people and gaming and how, how is it progressing or how is treatment progressing? What well, we'll talk about treatment second, but the, the who's coming in, um, they are tending to do a lot of, uh, they identify as gamers because gaming tends to be the primary thing they they're doing. It's where the bulk of their time is spent, but they are also on various social media sites. They're watching YouTube videos, often of the things that interest them, which is gaming. <laughs> they, they're, uh, you know, they're on Discord, they're on Reddit, they're on um, Twitch, watching live streaming of gaming. Um, uh, they're talking to each other about gaming. Now, some are, we are seeing some coming in. For instance, more recently, we've had a couple of folks coming in who were not gamers, didn't identify as gamers, but identified as um, political information junkies who absolutely let their involvement in, you know, writing, writing, responding on political sites be the thing that had gotten them completely hooked. Um, and we've, we've seen that a little bit more. They're all, almost all universally, just about looking at pornography. Right. And um, so that's what they're doing. Yeah. 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 And in terms of treatment, we just have to address all of it. Go ahead, Mel. 
Yeah, I, I was just thinking, you know, in terms of, you know, addiction trends, you know, in, in general, um, you know, I think we, we sort of see, you know, as new substances come into people's spheres, you know, there's a, a kind of suddenly there's like a pandemic in, you know, certain, you know, prescription medication, for example, has become, you know, a lot more, you know, sort of prevalent um, as it's become easier to get and, and, and that sort of thing as it started to become sold on the streets as well. And I'm just wondering if you sort of are seeing any trends in terms of young people um, or even older people turning to, you know, online stuff rather than the, you know, what they might usually, which would be, you know, the alcohol or the drugs is, do you see that there's a, a sort of any trends happening there? And, and why do you think that might be if there is? Well, the trend, I guess, that springs to mind that I'm seeing is actually the wedding of marijuana use and gaming. Okay. That's, I'm seeing a lot of that mm. um, and much more so than when we first opened. So mm. uh, part of that is fueled by the legality of, of marijuana use now. And so lots of the gamers who come have been using marijuana as well. Mostly they're using it to enhance their gaming experience. Mm. So, and then another trend is that there's the merging of gambling with gaming. And um, there are these gambling elements that don't look like traditional gambling, but are in the form of loot boxes, for instance. And, oh, sorry, and for, what, what are they? I yeah, don't so understand. I was just yeah thinking I, I should tell the audience what that is. Um, so with, let's say you're playing a, a game, uh, well, like Minecraft, which is you know a super popular game, or uh, League of Legends, or you know in, any of these uh, Fortnite, any of these very popular games. Inside the game, you can come across as you're exploring in this universe you can come across a loot box, which can have all any kind of shape, but they recognize it as a loot box. And inside it are items that can be, you can place a gamble. You can pay for the gamble to open the box and see what you get. That is what a loot box is. And, and it might be something to enhance play. It might be a weapon. It might be a character that will help you in your army. It might be something that just is, uh, you know, a vanity object, you know, a, a hat, a cloak, a, a skin, you know, something that you like. But it, and those things can be actually sold in markets. Sometimes the markets are in the game. Other times they are outside the game. But uh, even though they are not directly, uh, you know, you, you place, you, you pay for the gamble, you get something. Uh, it's not as though you're getting money, but you are getting something of value and that something of value can be translated into money. So, yeah. Even, even more addictive then. Yeah, yeah. So these are the trends, uh, Mel, that I'm, that I'm primarily seeing. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, um, there is more and more of these sort of simpler games that are now available uh, on smartphones. And so, you know, it used to be Angry Birds, but now there's 
um, stuff that's going in the direction of esports, like betting on esports, betting on real sports. Um, and those, and, and because of artificial intelligence, uh, people can be very individually targeted to place a bet on, on something. Um, so it's very insidious and powerful, um, these trends. How do we help inoculate people from some of the, because we can't now change the internet and gaming and shopping, it's, it's out there, isn't it? The cat's out the bag. How, how can we help people in the next decade or two or three become less addicted in, in, in those realms, in screen, on screen, on devices? How do you see it developing? So I look to South Korea as a model, not China, South Korea. <laughs> and we've had several delegations come through and visit us. And, and I've been to a conf several conferences where I've also met people, researchers from South Korea. And here's what we learned that first of all, the government recognized the problem. So let's start there. Right. Let's get official recognition of internet problematic use. Right. Let's start there. But because the government did that, the government was willing. It it pays for research. It pays for curriculum development. So children entering school from the earliest age are exposed to a curriculum, which teaches them healthy use of of uh, screens. Mm. right? They produce books, and we have four of these soft-bound books uh, that are all in Korean, and we've never had them translated, but they, we have them, and they, and one goes to every teacher, one goes to every parent, one goes to every counselor, one goes to every student, mm. and they are, you know, designed for those populations to explain what are the signs and symptoms of problematic use? What are the solutions to this? How do you use these things in a healthy way? What, where do you go for help? All this kind of stuff. They have, they start screening kids from age 10 to see if they are addicted to the internet. And if they are, they are sent at government expense to one of 17 different facilities. I imagine those facilities are somewhat like Restart. You know, they are a place to go to detox. And then that detox is followed, which involves the family because there's recognition that it is a family issue. And then that is followed by six months of individual and family therapy. And they have... Uh, trained when I was at a conference about three or four years ago, the guy I spoke to, the researcher I spoke to, said, "Yeah, we have now trained about five thousand therapists to specialize in internet addiction." Amazing. So just think about it, and that's one small country. Uh, I have no idea how the population compares to the UK population, but you know it is phenomenal. Yes. So. 
we need public education. Oh, and they have a whole public education campaign. They named it their number one public health threat. They named it that about 12, no, more than, I was in China for a conference in 2008 and they had already, there they had already named it their number one public health threat and in Korea before that. So probably 15 years ago, they, they identified it as their number one public health threat. So just think about how far behind we are in our response. So public education, curriculum, you know, the funding of treatment, the funding of uh, research, all of this is what we need. Yeah. And, and parents are, uh, I mean, I, you probably are aware that Facebook is really being hauled on the carpet and questioned closely about their uh, behavior, not just Facebook, but the other huge companies. Um, but I don't see a lot of action coming out of that. And um, I think there in the UK, my impression is that you actually maybe have made some advances in terms of trying to protect children from harm. harm. Uh, I'm not quite sure you could tell me what is being done there in the UK and update me, but I mean, there just is so much that needs to be done. Yeah. Hilary, I'm just interested, obviously, you know, through a, a kind of trauma lens, um, when, you know, we're, we're sort of looking, I guess, at, you know, devices, online gaming as, you know, a, another way of, of self-soothing yeah. due to trauma. So when your clients come in, when, you know, to, to your clinic, how much, and, and it's, I guess it's a kind of a bit of a chicken and egg situation because of the age of, the clients that you're seeing but you know are a lot of them coming in with with sort of what looks like pre-existing trauma that has led to them using these you know the their devices as a vice to to self-soothe and then on top of that how much extra trauma does what they're exposed to potentially create right so the <laughs> It is a complex situation because first of all, let's just take a, a perfectly healthy but ignorant family uh, and there's no overt trauma whatsoever. And they might even be making a very strong effort to limit their screen, their child's screen use, but they don't understand exactly how much it should be limited. And so the child and, and the child is experiencing the stresses of childhood, like normal childhood stressors. Uh, going to a new school, the family moves, the, uh, you know, the, they're, they're uncomfortable and anxious, you know, making new friends. And, but they are psychologically, their profile is actually perfectly healthy. These are normal stressors. The child is in a healthy family, all of this. And yet, um, because screens are so ubiquitous and so socially acceptable, uh, mm -hmm. parents don't limit uh, their children's screen use adequately, and and the child use it uses it for self soothing, and pretty soon they have overused. They've gotten caught up in it, and then the family doesn't know how to respond. In fact, they don't respond for a while because they think to themselves. 
he or she'll just grow out of it. Yes. Um, and, and then they don't, and then they end up with a much more serious problem. So that's kind of one scenario. Another scenario is where there is overt trauma. A, a parent dies, uh, the, the divorce, you know, the ACEs, the, yeah. um, the problems that children experience in childhood, the more there are of those, the more likely they are to have psychological problems, including addiction. And then there is, and then, so there are those kind of two scenarios, but there's also the scenario of um, families. And, and, and in those two scenarios, the kids may not have gotten a lot of screen time until they were older, until they were 10, 11, 12, 13. And that's when the addiction took hold, right? So that is quite possible with those two scenarios. But with um, what's happening now is that parents uh, who are heavily marketed to uh, are giving their device, giving digital devices to very young children. And, and the parents themselves are often hooked on their own Facebook feed <laughs> or yeah. whatever right? Or, or just doing work at home. Hey, I can do have my work computer at home and do work from home. So I'm online, my, my spouse is on the smartphone, and let's keep our kid quiet mm. in front of a screen. Mm. Uh, let's keep our kid not demanding attention, and so forth in front of a screen. And they can be doing this with infants. They're, they sell things to parents. Uh, to hold screens uh, above, you know, those, those sort of bouncy, bouncy rockers. Yeah. Well, they sell them. You can buy them with a screen where oh. there's a place for a screen to be affixed. Um, potty chairs. They, oh. It's called an iPotty. You can buy a potty chair so your child can be looking at a screen, interacting with a screen while it's learning to poop. You know, this is not good. No. And it's and that complex trauma, the yeah. complex trauma of a child who is not going to be adequately attaching and bonding with caregivers. And 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 as we know, physical and mental health all rests on that, uh, on a really solid foundation of attachment in the early years and so we're going we are seeing and we are going to continue seeing growing numbers of children who are not well attached so if that's the case what do you think and I don't like to be negative or pessimistic if but if that's the case what is the future looking like unless we address it well, I, I personally uh, feel pessimistic about the future unless we address it. I just think we have to address it because I do not want to see a generation growing up, generations upon generations growing up with these serious attachment issues and addiction issues. And one of the ways this plays out is um, there there was an interesting New York Times article recently 
uh, about men dropping out of the workforce. And, and I don't know if you're familiar with the, the manosphere. Are you, is this a term you're familiar with? The manosphere? No. So if you go to webs, if you were to go to a website called men going their own way, it's not about gay men. <laughs> no, no, no. It's about a men who dislike women and don't want anything to do with women, except maybe as a sex object, but that's it. Um, something similar is called the Red Pill Society. Um, there's, uh, are you familiar with um, uh, incels, involuntary celibates? Okay, so it's inv involuntary celibates. So these are all examples of uh, these trends that I see growing of men who are, who dislike women, they tend to be politically extremely retrograde, reactionary. Mm -hmm. They thought Trump was just marvelous. Many of them thought Trump was just the cat's meow <laughs> because he said, you know, cause Trump represented someone saying, I don't have to live by the rules, screw the rules. And I don't like women. I can treat women however I want. Yeah. And so um, that is a trend. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I think it's a trend fueled by the online communities uh, that overlap heavily, not entirely, but heavily with the gaming communities. Yeah. And um, so that's a, a, a really worrisome trend. And um, and, and pornography, you know, pornography also is fueling these, these attitudes. So, uh, and the online forums that people can get involved in through Reddit and so forth. So I just think those are trends that are actually growing and are very, very worrisome. And along with the, the attitudes about women and, and society is a, disinterest and, and anger at uh, that uh, a sense of alienation from the world and an anger um and uh and a sense of uh being disempowered which is ironic because they're the most powerful privileged group they tend to be white males yeah um often from middle class and upper middle class families. So they are demographically the most privileged, but they feel powerless often. And, and that leads to anger and that leads to who are we gonna blame? And we're, we're gonna blame women. We're going to blame government. We're going to blame the powers that be. And um, so that is a trend for sure that yeah. I see growing if, this, if there isn't some, shift. I, I think of it visually as currents, like yeah. counter currents. There is the current born of uh, second wave feminism of, uh, you know, we're all equal, let's empower everyone, the civil rights movement, all yeah. of, you know, it's like that's a current, a progressive current in the culture. And then there's this counter current which is gaining strength, which is uh, completely opposed to those values. Yeah. 
and you can find both online. I mean, you can find wonderful content online um, that is, you know, promotes empowerment uh, in all kinds of wonderful, wonderful ways. you know, too numerous to list, but just yeah. wonderful. There's so it's just such a. I think that this this countercurrent, sorry, Hillary, that you're talking about, you know, that is very much bringing in from what I can foresee, like a new level of trauma, because you know yes. we've already oh, got you know kind of you know racism, you know, you know sexism, sexism yeah all, all, of, all of that stuff um you know homophobia yeah. and 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 this countercurrent and and those are things that that cause trauma for yes people. absolutely and then absolutely. you've got this countercurrent coming in that is just adding to the collective trauma collective that is trauma i totally agree mm-hmm. and and add to that the children who are exposed to you know allow their parents will even buy them things like games like grand theft auto or certain horror games where they are exposed to excessive violence gore fear of all kinds these are traumatic experiences think about young children being exposed exposed to pornography much of the pornography is very violent um so these are this is traumatic content as well yeah so I guess I, I mean I I hear you both and I, I suppose I'm I I try and be an optimist in that if we could treat it all through a trauma lens and try and stop the intergenerational trauma and it going down and down and down and down whether it's via screens or or, or what, whatever the trauma is induced by we wouldn't have such polarities in the world I agree. You know, so so what we're all doing and what we're all wanting, and I know the Trauma Thrivers group is too, is we're all wanting to heal ourselves and the next generations so we don't keep passing down the attachment or the intergenerational trauma. Right. Because we're, we're never going to get well as a planet until right. we heal that. And listen, there are things, if parents will do their research and if, and if, uh, if a word would could get out there there actually are some marvelous video games for instance that are promote pro-social behavior and you know and and a certain amount of of healthy balanced use of video games and uh and other online content can be very beneficial so they're it's you know so it's it's just complex how do you stop the bad and promote the good yeah 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 how do you stop the evil and promote the good how do we get rid of the shadow and bring in the light you know yeah it's the age-old problem isn't it of humanity really i just wanted to to ask one last question from me hillary and i think this is kind of bringing it back to you know the kind of I think we've given, we've talked a lot of the conversation we've had this evening, I think will be, you know, very interesting, especially for for the clinicians that that are out there kind of listening, listening to this and and getting to, you know, understand about, you know, the new trends, but for, you know, our kind of like thriver, survivor people as well that are in the group. And and certainly from my point of view, you know, I mean, I'm, 
you know do it myself you know sometimes I sit there and I'm finding myself sort of you know doing the mindful scrolling or suddenly feeling a sense of you know validation because I've got you know 20 likes on Facebook or you know whatever it might be um so what is it how how does one know when we're crossing the line from you know what is normal to what is normal interaction um in this sort of day and age um and where you know we are then using it as a vice as a as a way to distract or avoid or dissociate or or even to validate ourselves Mm -hmm. well the both the dsm the diagnostic statistical manual of mental disorders uh has a, a list of criteria for gaming disorder, internet gaming disorder, but it could be translated into uh, internet, just internet use or digital media use. And and the World Health Organization has also three criteria. DSM has nine, World Health Organization has three. And people can certainly look at those and just kind of evaluate their own behavior based on what, as they look at that. And, and so I, I will send you uh, those things if you want to post it uh, up there mm-hmm. so people will have easy access to have a quick look at it. But the other way I think it's really helpful to think about it is think in terms of a 24-hour pie chart mm-hmm. and, and fill it in with what you know you need and is healthy for you. So you know you need enough sleep. You know you have your responsibilities as a, as a child care provider, as a outside the home worker, as a student, whatever those responsibilities are, you, you, you fill in the time it takes to get there, come back from there and be there, all right? And then if you're a student, of course, you've got homework to do, so you mark out that time. Right. So those are the big responsibilities, but you also have responsibility to your health to get exercise, to eat, make sure that you are not just sitting in front of your screen eating chips, but you are actually having three, at least three meals a day that are healthy meals. You need to do appropriate hygiene for yourself. So taking a shower, um, And so you fill in that time. Uh, We are social animals and we suffer greatly, greatly if we become really dysregulated if we do not have a lot of social, face-to-face social contact, which is why COVID has been such a misery for so many people because they haven't been able to have that. But you need to build it in. And if you have to go second best, which is Zooming with your uh, the people you care about, you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and most people benefit, uh, although most people don't know they'll benefit, but most people benefit by having some just quiet downtime where they are daydreaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they're writing in a journal. Maybe they're just uh, lying down, maybe taking a walk, whatever. You know, it's just daydreaming time. I, I may, might've left something out, but if you, if you fill in a 24-hour period with all the things that you know are healthy, like a healthy non-screen hobby, 
you know, like you've got, you filled it all in and you still have four hours. What is a healthy non-screen based hobby that it's good to have? So that is gonna take up some more time. So you're gonna end up with a sliver of time that is last priority, not first priority, it's last priority, but it's your free time to do with as you wish, right? And that's, I think, the way to think about it. If you are, if your screen use is interfering with any of that, then it's time to address it. Right. Okay, thank you. Well, I suppose we'd like to end always by asking you what now, what for the center, where, where are you hoping to go career-wise and with what you're doing? Okay, well, we do have an adolescent program now. We didn't used to, so that's a big growth. And we have another, another facility that we're opening up. Opening up. Um, and so, you know, we, we're, we're growing in very nice ways. I am sort of semi-retired, so I'm less involved now at, at Restart. I'm still involved, but less involved than I used to be. And now my time is, um, I'm actually much more interested in general in the educational piece, like get the word out and educate yeah. people as much as I can. So I so appreciate that you contacted me and gave me a platform to, you know, spout all these things that I care about. Um, we so and appreciate probably, having you. So thank <laughs> you. Thank you. And, and writing, uh, we have a research team now uh, that is, going to be churning out I think some really interesting research and it's fun to be involved in that and um, we just uh, Cosette and I and Patrick Carnes just uh, came out with a book uh, a workbook yeah that is for therapists to use um, and which is available through the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals right um, and so you know those are the things my passion project just one or two things then, Hillary. Just one or yeah. two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, listen, so lovely to see you today. And thank you very, very much for your time. I know it's going to be helpful for so many people listening. Absolutely. And I look forward to uh, meeting you both when I come to the UK. Yeah. In just a couple yeah. of months. Yeah. We need you to open somewhere here. Definitely. We'll yeah. talk about it when I come. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> deal. Okay. Thanks ever right. such a lot, Hillary. Take care. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. -bye.